everybody, welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan. And on today's show, I have an interview with director Joshua Butler. You might have seen his work from such TV shows as The Magicians, The Following, Pretty Little Liars, Nikita, and many, many more. I got a full hour to sit down with Josh, and we talk about so many different things that I didn't know about directing, and I hope it's educational and entertaining for you the way it was for me. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder that you can watch our live podcast recordings at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. In addition to that, we do all sorts of other programming like live cooking, live gaming. I host live game shows. We do talk shows. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. So head on over to twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration and check out all the different things that are going on over there. Without further ado, here is Joshua Butler. Um, I guess this evening... Aside from working on movies and music videos, he's directed many episodes of your favorite TV shows, including The Magicians, Shadowhunters, The Vampire Diaries, Limitless, Pretty Little Liars, Nikita, and The Following. That is a hell of a resume you have. Thank you. It's been, it's been a good run. <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> um, I, I'm a huge fan, personally, of both The Magicians uh, and Nikita. I love both of those shows very, very much. Um, yes, both great shows. I'm super curious. So let's let's jump right into like history time. Let's go back to little Joshy. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, so when you were young and you were growing up, was directing the thing right away? Uh, yeah, eight years old. I decided to uh, to become a director. And actually, while we're here, um, these these actually were actually were my first two uh, um, actors. What? Um, is, yeah, I know. Um, Mervyn and Coco. So I had a collection of rubber and plastic ducks when I was a kid. Yeah. These, these are the only two that survived. The rest kind of melted in a box in oh, an wow. attic. Yeah, they all melted together into some crazy yellow uh, mess. But yeah, so I, I, I was, you know, like a really nerdy kid. And I had, you know, these, these ducks that I had written their names um, on the bottom of them. And I'd given them personalities. And I was doing these kind of duck... Um, <laughs> <laughs> like plays and and I had a Duckville newsletter and so when I got my first video camera on my eighth birthday I uh, I my first actors since I didn't really have any humans at the moment I, I I used my ducks and I started making duck movies so that that was that was the beginning and wow. and on the same day actually I saw 2001 a Space Odyssey in the uh, in the movie theater. Uh, in a revival on a huge uh, 70 millimeter print. And it was, uh, I was like, well, yeah, if movies can take you to Jupiter, then that's, that's what I want to do with my life. So I, uh, and, and I guess unlike a lot of people, I just, I never had any backup plan. I just didn't, I, this was it. So eight, eight years old, that was the only uh, <laughs> job I ever wanted to do. So I applied to one film school uh, a few years later, it was USC film school and mm. I got in, which is great. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I was making videos all the way through high school. So, um, my resume didn't look too bad for, for, for a kid that, uh, you know, hadn't had any professional jobs. So, uh, yeah. And then after SC, it was, um, 
few years after that, I got my break uh, in TV. I thought I'd get my break in film, but uh, uh, TV was, uh, was uh, I, I lucked into a situation where I worked on a pilot as an editor and uh, I, I kind of um, helped that project get on the air. So I had some leverage as, as an editor. And so I, I negotiated to direct an episode and that was the first episode of TV I did. And, uh, and then that, you know, that started the, uh, the chain of events that's, that's led to today. So that, that was, uh, that was my life in a, in a few moments. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you went to USC. Did you also grow up in California or? I did not. I grew up in New York. So I oh, came okay. out to, uh, I came out to California for, for film school. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a culture shock. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a totally different world from New York city. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up on Long Island outside of the city, okay. but, but it's like, but New York city really was like my, my town growing up. I, I went into the city a lot and I just, I, I felt the energy of it and I, I liked that big city feeling and I mm. like seasons. I like, you know, <laughs> autumn, <laughs> which is something, uh, <laughs> California has not experienced at all. You can take um, but, some of ours if you want them. I don't. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 I know, I know. It's like yeah, it's, it's the, I get into a lot of discussions about weather with people because yeah. that seems to be the first justification for living in Southern California <laughs> is is that there is no weather, uh, or you know, which is as in it's kind of nice all the time. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah, it, it's uh, it was. Uh, I, I've been out here ever since, <laughs> so I, I try to get back to New York as much as I can and. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, LA's, LA's my home. And then, you know, the joke is that, uh, thanks to tax incentives, um, most of the jobs that I do are not actually in LA. So then there's this whole element of living, living my life, uh, on the road out, you know, out of a suitcase, you know, for each episode I direct, it's basically one month of my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I basically have to pack up and go to Vancouver or Toronto or New York or Chicago or, Charleston or New Orleans or Atlanta or, you know, it's like, it's all these places that I've lived uh, for months at a time uh, without, you know, and then it's, that's, it's a very, it's, it's an interesting existence. It's life on the road. It's because, you know, still as of today, it is cheaper to shoot these TV shows in places other than Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, it's uh, even doing the, the math with, 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 in terms of flying the cast and the crew and putting them up, you know, and then, you know, of course now there's great local crews in all the cities mm-hmm. I just mentioned. So most of the crew can come from the city, but then the key department heads and the, a lot of the cast come from LA or New York, and then they, they are housed and, you know, uh, fed for months at a time by yeah. the production. And even then it's still cheaper than wow. shooting in or New York, or well, actually, New York is cheaper than LA. So it's really about LA. It's really about LA. So which is uh, which is where the jobs originate, and then which is where also post production is done. So it's it's, it's okay. this weird like thing where I can't not live in LA, but you know, uh, theoretically, I could live somewhere else. And and some people I think have that that luxury of of of, of flying into LA, you know, for meetings and to get the jobs that yeah. then send them out of LA. But I I just yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually going to be my follow up is, is would you say that L.A. is the place people still need to go if that's the case where it's going all over? Is L.A. still like I got I want to get into this industry. This is where I should situate myself. I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I you know, it depends on what side of the business you want to be in. Like, for example, if you're an actor, L.A. may not be the place for you. Um, and even New York may not be the place for you because huh. because I tell a lot of actors, you know, like who are starting out like 
go to one of these cities, go to Atlanta, Georgia, you know, like go, go to, uh, um, you know, if you're Canadian at all, you should be in Vancouver or Toronto, you know, if you have any way of, of, of being in Canada or, or, you know, if you have any Canadian uh, blood, um, because, uh, you know, all the TV shows that I've worked on, um, need to hire the guest casts locally. You know, that's just, it's prohibitively expensive to fly all your actors from LA. So a lot of the smaller, you know, parts in, but you know, good, good roles mm -hmm. in each of the episodes, uh, that are, that are being produced out there. They need a talent pool in each of the tax incentive cities, you know, to, to draw upon. So for example, a young actor can really build up their resume in Atlanta for, mm. you know, which has dozens of projects going at the time. And, you know, and, and, and it's like, you need, they need to find Atlanta based actors. Um, and, and so that might be an easier, it's a smaller pond than LA. So it might be an easier place to be. Um, mm. it, it, that's just, you know, one, one of many things, but if you want to be behind the camera, you know, I, I think LA is still, you've got to be, it's a place to start. Yeah. You know, I mean, Unless you're one of those great, amazing people that, you know, make their, their film for $25,000 in a garage in, in, in Kansas and, and, you know, get lucky enough to be uh, going to Sundance Film Festival where their film is a sensation. And then, you know, they have the, uh, the, the cachet of being a Kansas filmmaker where everybody has to come to them. But, you know, that's a very, that's a very rare, uh, rare occurrence, um, yeah. usually and the Kansas filmmaker would probably end up in LA in this hypothetical, but yeah, it's, um, you know, New York is, New York is probably a place you could make it to, but you know, all the studios are here, all the meetings, all the, all the, you know, all the uh, projects originate here, even mm -hmm. if they don't end up being, um, big shot here. So I imagine some of that's I, just organic networking too, just kind of being around the people that are doing yeah, it all the time. Exactly. And then, and then of course now, you know, you're not only networking in LA, but say whenever I'm in Vancouver, like say I'm directing the magicians, you know, there's this place called the Sutton place hotel where basically every person on every crew and, and every actor that is currently being, uh, employed in Vancouver, mm -hmm. we all st literally everybody stays at this one hotel. So, so it can feel like a, a central networking zone there all the time. I mean, I'll, I'll come home from, from a, from a shoot day and then I'll run into six people I know in the lobby, you know, and then there's <laughs> a, there's a bar there where, where, you know, in some ways I feel like the networking now is even better, you know, on the road in places like Vancouver than it is in LA because, you know, there's, there's just all of us are sort of, in, in like uh, this, this same sort of uh, situation where we're all away from home and we're all kind of, you know, living in a, in a, in a smaller space. Mm. So there's more room to interact, whereas LA can be big and scary and, you know, in terms of how spread out it is and, you know, how you're living your life on a freeway, you know, if you want to go have a meeting or a lunch or anything, it's a two to three hour commitment. Um, yeah. You know, during rush hour, it could be a four or five hour commitment for just one bit of networking, you know? So it's, so it's, there's something nice about having the luxury of, of having a, a bunch of people that, you know, that you can schmooze with on the road, but you know, but again, LA is still, you, you know, you, you've, you've got to be, got to be prepared for the ultimate schmoozing, which is yeah. the, <laughs> to see the jobs, you know? Yeah. When you're, when you're off in those locations, uh, filming an episode, like on that road trip and in that hotel, uh, is that kind of like a summer camp experience where like, you, like you said, you're surrounded, like almost in this commune by all the people that you're working with in addition to others. Like, what is that experience like to be constantly like 
it feels like there's no escape from it. You probably get out here and there a little bit, but it's really like the focus at that time. Yeah. I think summer camp is a great, um, a great example, analogy metaphor. I mean, I, I think I sometimes use, you know, like wartime. It's like, we're all, you know, in the trenches together mm-hmm. and, you know, so, so there's, there's a kind of a, a bonding that happens. Um, and then of course you, you do the job and then you, you know, go off in life and do other things. And so you have this intense um, camaraderie during the project. And then, you know, sometimes you go away and you never see them again. The show gets canceled. You know, a lot of the shows that I've directed, unfortunately I've directed episodes in the first 13 uh, episode order. And um, at least six of them I've worked on were great experiences, but then the shows themselves were canceled and even though I would have loved to go back and do many more of those episodes, you, 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 you know, I, once the show gets canceled, the show kind of disappears into the ether. Mm-hmm. And then so too to do all the relationships that you build up, you know, during your summer camp experience working, mm-hmm. working on that show. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting kind of like, you know, you, you, you meet people, you become close, you, you work in a very, uh, intense pressure cooker environment and then you know you you get these very strong friendships and bonds and and i think again i think wartime sometimes you read about soldiers in in the trenches and and they have these same types of relationships where Mm -hmm. you know it's so intense and then you know you you're done and you go home and 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 you just may or may not ever continue that relationship again Mm. is it is it common at all to uh maintain some friendships out of that or is it kind of like the general understanding that we do all this and then when it's done it just dissipates and that's the nature of the business well yeah i think it is i mean we go through this ritual of oh let's let's keep in touch you know let's what's your facebook what's your instagram what's your twitter you know what's your what's your i'll text you my number you text me your number you know let's uh you know oh my god when you're back in la when are you back in la i'm back in la in two months or three months and then we'll, we'll get coffee then we'll go out we'll hang out we'll catch up and sometimes I'd say, you know, 30% of the time that happens and you get to continue your friendship relationship with, with certain people, you know, that you, that you've done that ritual with. Um, and then 70% of the time, I think, you know, it's, it's all like, you know, deep down that, well, you know, the way this business works, that, that is, that is, as you say, the nature of the business, you're just, you're, you may never, you may never speak again, but, mm-hmm. but you have to at least if you did have a good relationship and, you know, hopefully you try to have good relationships on every project, you, you want to at least, you know, go through the motions of saying, Hey, as human beings, this is kind of weird that we got so close, so, so fast. And we did such um, intense work together under these conditions. And in, in any other universe, this, this would be the beginning of a, of of a beautiful friendship, you know, you know, so it, 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 it's the strangeness of it is, is the fact that it, it, there's so many of those relationships that you develop, you know, over the projects that you do that it's just physically and humanly impossible to actually keep up with it, all the, all the people that, that you, that you meet and work with. So it's, 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 you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an odd existence. It is, but it's, uh, if you love the job, if you love the craft, if you love what you do, then, then it's just sort of all part of it. You know, the tax incentive thing, I got to say, threw me for a loop. I mean, in film school, they did not necessarily warn me 
that, that I would be, you know, basically living the life of a, of a, of a, a touring uh, rock band. <laughs> you know, like, You're a rock star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, without all the, the, the perks of being a rock star, you know, without the roadies and, sure. <laughs> and, and the tour buses, I mean, I'm lugging my own, my own shit around, you know, from airport to airport, a hotel room to hotel room. But, you know, I like, you know, yeah, it's not the glamorous rock star life. It's probably like the, the indie, you know, singer songwriter who's trying to get a label uh to to sign sign that my maybe that's the lifestyle i'm living i don't know yeah. it's uh, yeah <laughs> uh going back to when you were a kid um living in new york just growing up deciding that you wanted to be a director and pursue this what made it feasible in your mind because i remember thinking about like when i was watching movies and everything be like oh it'd be cool to do this or cool to do that and then it's like, well, it's way over there and adults do that. And like, when, <laughs> when in your mind did it like solidify as I could actually go do this? Um, that's a great question. It's a question I've asked myself um, all along the way, um, you know, during the uh, times when I'm working all the time and during the times when I, you know, the, there's there's down periods and lulls and it's, you know, it's you've, you to commit to a life of permanent freelance, as I like to call it, um, you, you almost have to have a kind of a willful blindness about, you know, the realities, you know, it's like, it's like the, the, the cliche in film school for me was like so many people were getting their, their backup degrees. Like, mm. like so many people ended up getting degrees in business or getting degrees, you know, like, so they, they would, they would have a major in film and a minor in something else. And after graduation, what was what was amazing to me is so many of them ended up doing their their plan B, you know, going to plan B, you know, because it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough business. And for me growing up and making, you know, videos and and you know watching thousands of movies and studying them, it was like for me, I was I just I just never um now, I never stopped to think what would have, what would what would happen if if it was just not going to happen. If that makes sense, it's like mm. it's like it's it's almost like there there has to be a bit of a blind spot. There has to be a belief in yourself, obviously, that you you have the talent and you have the ability to do it, and that the odds which are which are against you, obviously, in a big way. You know, especially. Um, you know, if you're an actor, it's even, there's even more, I think, uh, intense odds that, you know, things that are so far out of your, your control, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of you know, what people are, are looking for and, you know, how, how people get their breaks and, and the, the luck factor is, is huge. Um, but, uh, I'm only recently looking back and realizing how little I thought about all that as I was going along the way, I was mm -hmm. just you know, literally just trying to, to, you know, go from, from one job to the next, from film school to my, my break and try to keep the momentum going. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, as I say, willful blindness, I guess, yeah. to, to the reality of, of how difficult this job, uh, could be. I mean, know? it sounds like you were just dedicated to the process and, and everything yes. else kind of faded away that tunnel vision. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, when you, when you want to create art, it's clearly, you know, you look back at uh, artists throughout history and I don't mean to say that I, you know, I, I don't want to have the, uh, the hubris to, and say, I'll oh, I'm say a, it for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a, an artist. I'm working on that, but, but assuming that that's the goal or creating art is the goal. Then I think that at the end of the day, you really have to then say, okay, it does not matter what external validation you get. Mm -hmm. It does not matter. You know, if you're, if you're Van Gogh, you're just going to paint and and you're going to be nuts and you're going to cut your ear off and you're going to die in a sanitarium and (laughs) and no one will ever buy your paintings when you're alive. You know, it's like you look at that and now, you know, he sells out museums in retrospectives of museums. So you're like, okay, so he didn't really enjoy his life that much from all accounts. And it was kind of hard, but but for him, it was all about, you know, the need to create art and, and what internal um, reward that that gives you. So it, it, it's, it's, it's often like me having to remind myself of that because it's, there's so many times when you realize that the external validation, the external, the, 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 um, the, momen- the, the momentum that you can gain from other people, you know, wanting to be in business with you, et cetera, that's going to ebb and flow. Whereas, you know, if it's not about that, if you're not doing it for those types of reasons, if you're not doing it for the fame or the success or the awards or the, you know, the ability to, to, to you know, be in, uh, on, on, you know, be a superstar on social media or whatever. I mean, whatever it is, it, it's got to be about that internal need to create. So that's, that's what I always have to remind myself to filter out the noise and go back to what was originally the plan. So, yeah, I think, I think that's it. I mean. Um, the, the, the willful blindness, I think, came from uh, uh, the right place where it's just about how can I, you know, make films? That was it. That was the only question I was asking for years. So you yeah. said that you got into directing through editing. Did, getting to that point, did you encounter that string of rejection that we hear so often about in Hollywood where you had to take no so many times but just keep pushing forward? Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing was editing was my day job out of film school. So I, I learned editing uh, and I was actually really good at editing because I had uh, edited my own films, obviously, growing up. The videos I was making, I was, you know, doing all, all you know, I was cinematographer, editor, you know, composer, everything. So I was I, I had learned editing um, even before I went to film school. But then I had a really great class and I had a great editing professor. And uh, it struck me that as many of my film school um, classmates were answering phones at studios, uh, you know, as, as their day job, as they were pursuing their film projects. Um, for me, I thought a much better day job would be to, to be an editor. And, um, uh, I, I found that I was getting jobs editing left and right, uh, outside of film school and uh, it was good money. And, um, but during that same period of time, I never thought that I would get my break directing through editing. And so, yes, I did go through, I wrote seven screenplays in that period and some of them were optioned, you know, uh, none of them got made. I had, uh, agents who were interested in me and then they turned out to be, you know, bottom feeders and, 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 you know, where they were promising things they couldn't deliver upon. And, and, you know, so, so through the process of writing those scripts and, 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 pushing my student film that I'd made at USC, which was my, my directing reel. You know, I had 
great screenings uh, uh, with great studio executives, and then I had miserable screenings with studio executives. One, one in particular, where my my uh, the print of my film broke in the middle of the screening, oh, and uh, it was a huge, it was a big, big, uh, big player, and uh, you know, it was like so, you know, things like that. So yeah, I, I went through that whole process, and then again, just by editing. I, I accidentally was working for somebody who had uh, who was moonlighting as 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 a post post production supervisor on a TV show, and was complaining that they they weren't happy with their current editor. So I, I saw an opportunity to jump in and and see if I could you know promote myself to uh, to to be the one to uh, to to re edit their pilot and make, make it you know make it what they were hoping it would be. So that mm. that just came out of nowhere, and then that became my my I saw that opportunity and I ran with it. But but yeah, it's 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 tough, man. You know, it's tough. You you know, and it's still tough. You know, because I'm still. You know, as much as I love TV, you know, film is still um, the goal, and I've I've done a few that nobody nobody in the world has ever seen. Uh, maybe four people have seen them, but uh, you know, it's like you know, I want to make, I still want to make movies that that uh, that, that are uh, you know that are well distributed and well well uh, viewed, well seen. Well, you know, it's like it's it's still been. There's never not been the goal. Uh, it's just that I. It's just that TV has turned into this really interesting. Mm version for me that, that just was never in the original plan. Um, I mean, and I love it and I love the shows that I'm working on and obviously, you know, show like the magicians is really very, um, good for the soul. And it's, it, it, it it's, it's, a you know, the artist in me is, is loves working on that show. For example, it's just, there's a lot of creativity that you get to, uh, to employ. And, and, and obviously it's just, well, as you know, if you're a fan of the show, it's just, yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes chances. It goes places that, TV shows haven't gone before. And so anyway, it was, you know, that, that's, that's been, um, that's been the, 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 the run. And, and again, there's, there's, there's ebbs and flows and it's, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride, you know, to, to throw out another metaphor, but yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> since you've become so prominent as a TV director, does that, does that become a fear to you as that like Hollywood does like to label people? And oh, yeah. is there a fear that like you're a TV director and even though you have this goal of getting to film as well, is there a fear that, yeah, I'm getting great work in TV, but I want people to look at me for other things, too? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very unusual process because a lot of times people do it the opposite way. They get their break in in film and then if their film career kind of either stalls or, or, or they choose to, you know, go into TV for, for the, uh, you know, the fact that there's a lot of work in TV and there's a lot of, uh, security in a way in television for people on, on a, you know, on a show that that's going to go for several seasons that, uh, you know, those paychecks are nice. And, and so a lot of people, you know, make their second act, uh, television and their, when their first act was film, mm-hmm. um, uh, for me, I've sort of done it the opposite way. And by becoming a TV director first, it's, 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 there's very few people that have actually successfully transitioned from TV into feature filmmaking mm-hmm. because of the very reason you just, just pointed out. It's like, there's, there's a, there's a pigeonholing that goes on where the argument that's made is not, Oh, look at all these, you know, amazing TV shows that this person has directed imagine what they could do with a hundred million dollars and or $200 million and, and a, and a big feature film, which is an argument that I naively originally, when I started naively, I was, I was thinking that was an argument I could use to 
parlay myself into features. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and instead, you know, Hollywood looks at TV directors and I think, you know, for the most part, their, their, their pigeonholing is, uh, that's, that's all, that's all we can do. You know, that's all, you know, that's, that's the extent, like the fact that I can make a show, uh, you know, with a $1.6 million budget, you know, and, 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 uh, seven or an eight day schedule and make it look good. It's like somehow that skill is different from the skill to take six months and $200 million and make something great. You know, so it's, it's a very bizarre, uh, argument that I haven't, the only way, um, for people that feel me and know what I'm talking about, I, I, I tell everybody the only way to get around this is to create content mm. because content is the only leverage we as artists, as filmmakers, as, you know, as directors have, interestingly enough, because the director for hire business, it can be a very, very strange and, and lonely place uh, because so many people that hire directors don't even really know what directors do mm-hmm. and they don't really know how to evaluate directors based on their work. They don't know how to separate, especially in television. They don't know how to separate the directing from the overall machine of television, you know, the overall. So, so a lot of times in TV directors are often not given the credit for the jobs they do on their episodes they're, they're, they're just sort of absorbed into the, into the overall success of the show mm-hmm. or, or, or in, some cases the overall uh you know failing of the show to to reach a reach a viewership and and again those are the situations where you know this this great work that i've done if i've directed an episode like there's there's been a couple of episodes of television that are my favorites but they're on shows that were canceled after 13 episodes and then kind of disappeared uh from from the public consciousness mm-hmm. and so i can't go back to episode 7 of a canceled show that only had 13 episodes and say, Hey, everybody look at this great directing I did, you know, in, in this episode, um, the way that say a feature filmmaker can go back and, and say, look at this film I had released, look at my rotten tomatoes meter, look at the, the money I made for, for back to the studio or for, you know, for my investors, like there, there's a marker of success and, and a level of, um, um, attention that, feature filmmakers get, um, you know, simply because they've made a feature film Mm -hmm. and simply because the critics are all looking at that as more of a, what we used to call, and, you know, being a film school nerd, it was like the, the auteurist theory, the idea that directors have a lot more say and are putting a personal stamp on their films. Um, but I think the key there also is that if you're a content creator, if you're, if you're writing and directing, if you're, if, or at least if you're, you know, getting an intellectual property, you're optioning it, you're, you're, you're shepherding it, you're making it your own work and you're, you're, then, then people get it. Then people get what directors do. You know, like you, you look at all the, the directors that are nominated, um, you know, for, for awards each season. And, and for the most part, they've also been involved in the creation of their projects as writers uh, as well. So it, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very interesting thing to try to sort of promote the great work that so many television directors are doing when episodes are really just not, you know, the good news is that the blogosphere and uh, social media has been amazing because then at least I get to talk to, to, to fans of the show and I get to sort of uh, at least say, Hey, look at this episode that I directed and, mm-hmm. and be able to talk about, you know, all of the filmmaking choices that happened uh, to directly to the audience. Mm-hmm. So 
that's been very rewarding. But uh, but it, you know, again, it would be nice to uh, to to sort of invite critics to uh, you know legitimate critics, you know, who who feel apparently that uh, you know directing uh, episodic television and is 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 not something they're interested in, in evaluating, or you know, somehow that episodic television is beneath their level of of uh standards for mm. for what they what they will review but but i'm just you know i'm i'm pushing for, for for people to really take take a look at at individual shows and 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 know that there's directors that work just as hard and probably harder than a lot of future film directors who are doing eight times the amount of script pages a day uh you know working with very limited budgets and in very very uh, difficult conditions to try to make something great and 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 working at a, at a speed that's so fast. I mean, think about it. If you're shooting one page of a script a day on a feature film over the course of say a few months, mm-hmm. you know, imagine having to deliver the same kind of cinematic quality, but having to shoot eight pages a day, which is which is basically what I you know the the the, the typical TV. Uh, day uh, involves mm. so and that those aren't eight pages of people talking yeah. those are eight yeah. pages of you know there's a few pages of people talking but then there's stunts and there's actions sequences and there's special effects and visual effects and all the things that you know one stunt on a major motion picture with a you know multi-million you know hundreds of millions of dollars you know that that they'll they'll take a week to do say uh a, 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 an effect or a stunt that we would have to do in an hour mm. or two hours so it's that's that's what I think most people don't realize about about the, the, the difference in in TV directing. It's it's a tough 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 fucking job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just hit on so many points that I want to get back to. I'm going to try and remember them all because um, yeah, it, it triggered. I had so many questions going as we were going. Yeah, sort of a brain dump here. Yeah, now. no, no, I love it. It's you're great. Asking, you're asking really good questions because it's like now it's it's all sort of yeah, it's kind of, kind of making it come together for me. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think maybe that perception will change as we're seeing? Because we're in kind of like a golden age of of television right now where shows are becoming even more cinematic, more like films. It's almost like you're shooting, like you said, it's like you're shooting mini films for each episode. So do you think as that gap shrinks, then the perception will change as well? Um, I hope so, because I think what's what's interesting is 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 you're not being asked like TV schedules and budgets were really um, kind of solidified and codified i think in the early 90s ish when you know shows like er and and uh um nypd blue and um those kinds of shows kind of set the budgets and schedules to be what they still are it's like there's been no like like let's stop and reevaluate this kind of moment in television so basically there's a reason why there's so many procedurals there's so many shows that involve um you know cops and and uh doctors and and uh lawyers it's because those types of shows are obviously proven to be successful and proven to be fascinating to millions of people mm-hmm. the worlds that uh, you know of, of, of law and, and medicine and and, and uh, you know law enforcement etc but it's like um, the, the the thing is those shows made sense on an eight day schedule 
uh, and a seven, you know, seven, eight day schedule. And they made sense with, with these budgets of one to two to three million dollars an episode because they're basically shows that involve people talking, you know, mm-hmm. like people talk in a courtroom, people talk in a police precinct, people talk in, in a hospital. I mean, there's, it, it, it's easier and faster to shoot people talking. And that's what TV was. And, and, and one of the, somebody, somebody said that, the best description of television is that it's like a filmed radio play. It's like mm-hmm. the type, like TV wasn't really meant to be uh, the same um, form as, as a feature film. It, it was, it was almost like somebody also said to me, you know, the best TV shows are the shows you can, you, you can be in the kitchen making dinner and you still understand what's going on mm-hmm. because it's a, basically it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a verbal medium. It's, it's a medium that, that started, as I said, like I think in the nineties, in the it basically sort of came up with this, 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 this uh, way that we shoot television. And then somewhere along the line in the last 10 years, 15 years, um, the ambitions for television have become much different. Now, um, television is expected to be these, these 45 minute, like mini feature films. They're, they're supposed to look and feel like feature films or they're, you know, you're, you're asked to deliver a feature film aesthetic, but what hasn't changed are those original schedules and budgets. Mm. So, so you're still dealing with this sort there's this kind of real clash between uh, the ambitions of, of the showrunners and the writers and the, and, and the studios and the, the networks that they want to make these amazing shows that, that compete, and uh, essentially with the feature film uh, audiences, if, you know, like, you know, like compete for their attention and, and are as well received as feature films. And it's just much more difficult to shoot those types of shows under the same conditions as, as, as these shows that were back in the day where it was, you know, six people in a room talking mm-hmm. for, for, you know, or, or six people in six rooms talking, you know, and that was, that was your, that was your show. So, so, you know, I, I hope that there is a moment like where it's a sort of this come to Jesus moment where, where everyone's going to say, OK, wait a minute. Let's let's take a new look at the, the, the directors that are actually under these extremely difficult conditions, making really good product yeah, and, yeah. and with with much less money, much less time and are still delivering feature film quality shows. And I just don't think people realize how different the budgets and schedules actually are. I mean, you know, I think when I say it, people, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a very, um, it, it's a very interesting thing. And I, I'm, I'm curious where the breaking point's going to be. I'm curious like where somebody's going to say, oh, wait a minute, if we really are going to make feature films every week, we need to have nine or 10 day or 11 day or 12 day schedules. Mm-hmm. And we need to have, you know, five, six, seven million dollars an episode uh, the problem is uh, the, the the people that are doing that are now the streaming services and, and HBO, you know, and because and, and and subscription services. So so if you're subscribing to a service, you know, like an HBO or you're subscribing to a, a you know a, a Netflix or a Hulu, uh, they're throwing so much more money to create their television content, uh, you know, at at those at those productions than the uh, studios and the networks because mm-hmm. the studios and the networks are still dealing with this sort of old school production model mm-hmm. where they're not, where they're not able to spend that kind of money on, on TV shows. So then, then you have this whole other thing where it's like, okay, so every year there's a reason why, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, s- sets the bar so high that studios and networks are like, are trying desperately to keep up because, you know, you can, if you have 15, $20 million an episode like Game of Thrones does, 
there's so much more you can do. You know, they have a month long shooting schedule. There's so much more you can do with that amount of money and that amount of time than the amount of money and time that you're given on shows like the magicians where, you know, uh, I, I think it should be nominated for awards. I'm biased obviously, but, but it's like, if, if, if that competition is like, you're, 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 you're constantly going up against these bigger splashier productions it's, 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 it's a, it's a tough thing. I, I just, I wonder, I wonder how it's all going to shake out. Mm. You know, it might even be, like you said, it might be the streaming services that really make that happen because as they're gaining prominence and they're gaining viewers and they're setting a model, if that model continues to be successful, TV networks are going to have to go, Oh, look, that's what's working. We're going to have to follow suit. Or exactly. And, and that's, and that's why they say there's, you know, live television is dead because essentially if you think back to those days that I was describing in the early nineties, when, you know, must see TV was happening and when you had to watch the latest ER because, Oh, this week they're going to do it live or, you know, you're going to watch the latest NYPD blue because you've got to be talking about it at the water cooler tomorrow morning, you know, at your office and, you know, no, nobody wants to be, feel like they're, they're left out or they're, you know, or there's some big thing that happens and everyone's talking about it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's tough because they, those shows used to get funded by the, advertisers who were buying time on television, you know, on, I mean, the, 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 the 30 second spots were, mm -hmm. were actually paying for these shows. Like when I started out, um, the, the joke was, uh, I was making 42 minutes of filler and what really mattered was the 18 minutes of commercials, right. you know, the 42 minutes were, were sort of like the, you know, the thing that brought people to the party, but then the thing that they really were caring about was how, how many eyes, that was the, I think the term they could, uh, the studios and networks could, uh, guarantee a specific advertiser. Like this week, we know there's going to be uh, 12 million people watching the latest CSI or 15 million people watching the latest CSI and that can guarantee those numbers. And then they can sell advertising based on those guaranteed viewers. Yeah. But then all of a sudden people stopped watching live television. People got their DVRs. They started skipping commercials. They're watching, you know, uh, they're watching them, you know, uh, not on TV anymore. They're watching them when it gets dumped on Netflix a mm -hmm. year later. Um, so it's like now, now the Nielsen ratings all got all crazy. And now it's like, okay, now it's live plus seven is the number that we care about, which means that, okay, you're going to measure a show not based on the amount of people that watched it live. You're going to basically count up all the people that watched it on their DVRs for the next seven days and figuring that if they didn't watch it before the next week's episode goes on air, then basically that's, you know, that, that there, there's the cutoff wow. for the, for the, for the rating. So, I mean, but that's just the beginning of this scramble that, 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 that the, uh, the students and networks are doing. It's this old, because the old school model is just not working anymore. The, the, the advertising can't pay for the shows. And because of these feature film ambitions, you can't make the budgets for those shows any less. You've still got to make, you know, glossy content that competes in the marketplace that competes with, you know, Netflix and, and HBO. And, and so, but, but, but if the resources aren't there, then the question becomes, why does the old school model uh, for making television, you know, even, it, it, why is that even relevant right sure, now? Sure. You know? And so we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. Speaking of content too, you touched on uh, the fact that as a director, you need to be constantly creating content. And the nice thing is that we do live in a time where that's freely accessible to more people. I mean, we're doing a live show on the internet right now with very little <laughs> barrier to entry, except for just like gaining knowledge. 
So as a director, what what are those barriers that are in your way to creating your own content that that upcoming directors should maybe think about? Um, Well, I'm very I'm very clear about like what I say to up and coming directors. It's very simple to me because it's like a lot of people for some reason have somehow decided that making independent television shows right out of the gate is somehow a thing is somehow going to get them seen and noticed. So, I mean, people making webs, what well, started out as web series and now we're, we're dealing with uh, what we're calling independent television, which mm-hmm. is kind of a joke because there are very, there really is no independent television the way that there is independent film. And you can count on one hand, the amount of shows that started that are actually on the air or on streaming services that started out as people making spec television, as people mm-hmm. making their own show and then selling it to uh, a, a, a studio that would then keep the actors they had cast and keep the uh, creative decisions that, that they had made on their own. You know, I mean, TV is all about a, it's a committee operation. It's about, you know, the people that gets to make television are, are usually people that either write feature films and then, then they're being courted to create TV shows because mm-hmm. they're, they're perceived as, as being visionaries and having um, the ability to build worlds, et cetera. Or they're, they're grooming people internally, people who have spent years working on writing staffs who have worked their way up from you know, story editor to you know, executive producer who are then basically kind of anointed as, 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 as having the opportunity to write a pilot. And then you know, 20 pilots can get uh, you know, commission, and then they'll pick out of the 20 scripts, they'll pick eight to shoot, and then they'll pick four of those eight to actually go to air. So it's that, 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 that's the process that a TV show, you know, goes through to get on the air. And, and that's a very, that's a process I don't see changing. So, um, so I, I, I try to discourage people from going out and making what, you know, they're, they're coming up with these, these independent TV pitches. And it's like, well, okay, but who are you going to sell that to? Mm -hmm. And even if you get to make it as a show and you dump it for free, I'm sorry, I don't want to say dump it. I mean, you know, you distribute it online, (laughs) but you're you're basically committing to a situation where you're making no money Mm -hmm. and then you're betting that someone's going to see that. And then, and so, so then it doesn't become a spec television show. It basically becomes a self-funded uh, real for you as a director or as, a, as an actor or whatever you're doing. So if, if you're okay with that, if you're okay with losing money and making these shows that are shows that, that are actually not, you know, for um, the purpose of getting bought and distributed and, and made and, you know, having millions of dollars thrown at you, the, the way to do it is to simply is make your own feature, make a feature film because feature films are still, there's still, it's still a crapshoot. Obviously there's hundreds of thousands that are submitted to Sundance every year. And, you know, only, only uh, there's only a handful of film festivals that matter. Thousands of films submitted to also those, all those film festivals, you know, only a few dozen are actually chosen. And then only, you know, a few of those are actually like breakout hits and then make the careers of the people that made them. Mm. So that's still, that, the odds are still against you. But the thing is, is that you do in fact then have a saleable product as a feature film. People are going to potentially buy feature films mm-hmm. from no, no name filmmakers or up and coming filmmakers. You know, they're not going to buy a TV show from, from, from that same person, you know? So, so I, 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 you know, it's, it's, 
it seems like I shouldn't even have to say this, but a lot of people really do believe that, 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 that making their own TV shows is a way to start. So I go, you know what? Make it as a film. If you can make it as a film, have somebody else get the bright idea to develop it into a TV show. You yeah. know, and, that, yeah. and that, that's the way to game the system. You're like, okay, so, hey, I wrote a feature. And then, you know, somebody, somebody goes, oh, wow, you know, that's a great TV idea. And then, and there's a lot of examples of those things happening where, where TV shows come out of films that started as spec scripts. And, um, and so, and then it's a much easier thing for you to do it. And if you could put the resources together, and I say this to a lot of people to make a spec half hour or 45 minute pilot, it, you know, pull the resources, keep pulling resources, the same resources and make a 90 minute film. I mean, it's not like it's a totally different type of, uh, operation, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's, it's still, if you're going to do it yourself, you're going to self-finance it, then I'd say put your money into something that could result in you not only monetizing and getting your film bought and getting it sold. I mean, worst comes to worst, you don't get a sale, you put it on Netflix and then all of a sudden you have this, this and let's say it's really good and it's gone to some film festivals. Then you can say uh, to Hollywood, Hey, look at my film. And then even I know even examples of films that didn't make a splash, didn't make any, any waves at film festivals or, or get distributed and somebody will watch that film and go, Oh, Hey, that's a great TV show idea. So there's even some obscure movies out there that have been turned into some very hit shows. Mm. And so, you know, it's like film, film, film. Um, it's, it, yes, it's a dying medium in a lot of ways and, and it's, it's not what it used to be. Studios aren't making the mid-level budgeted movies anymore. That's, I mean, all these cliches you hear, they're, they're not wrong. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's still a thriving independent film scene. And and you, you know, that that is still, I think, the best way to to get in. That's, um, short, shorts are good, too. Yeah. But there's no but there's no aftermarket for shorts. I mean, make a short, you know, I'd say if, if you want to not jump into making a feature, make a short so you can learn. So you can, you know, get the learn the process. Yeah. You know? but, but even there, I'm like, OK, if you made a short, you know, Hollywood isn't going to throw a feature at you uh, if you make if you make a short unless it wins you know best live action short at the Oscars and yeah. in those cases sometimes even those filmmakers don't don't get a shot but uh, some do um, I, I know a few of them um, and that's great but you know it's 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 a it's a tough road um, so back to back to being an artist back to you know make that film that you care so deeply about and. Try not to care <laughs> if it actually <laughs> makes you rich or not. You know, that's not the reason you should be doing it in the first place. Make you know? the art for the art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had said earlier, too, that uh, most people don't realize what exactly a director's job is. They think about it like just being on set, like putting up the hands and telling actors yeah, what to do. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I, I hate it when directors have these photos. I'm like, really? Nobody <laughs> okay. does that anymore. No, no. <laughs> we have so much equipment. Old school viewfinders. Yeah. That looks like, you know, <laughs> lens that you put on the end of it. It's like, yeah, no. So what, what then is the process for you? When you get hired, you find out you're going to be doing an episode of this thing. What, what is your go-to first thing that you need to do? Take care of. First thing I need to take care of is uh, watching every episode of the the series that has been produced and before the one I'm directing. And if there are no actual episodes that are finished yet, because a lot of times I get hired to direct episodes in the first season of a show, um, I have to read all the scripts and watch uh, the dailies for what's been shot already. Um, I need to 
do my homework is number one. And then once I get up to speed, I have to be a really like, you know, when I'm directing, for example, when I get a job to direct a show like Shadowhunters, you know, I, I, I had to learn a whole um, new, new lingo. I mean, you have to learn, I mean, that show is built such a, such a, a, a wonderful but complicated world that, you know, like I have to learn how to talk to actors about what it, what their motivation is as, as a parabatai, you know, which yeah. is the word that no one who doesn't watch Shadowhunters, like I never, I didn't know the word parabatai before I got hired to direct Shadowhunters amongst many other words, you know, these, these, uh, these um, steelies and runes and things like that. All the, all the, all the things that that show does, it's like, that's just one example of many, you know, you've got to learn the mythology of the show. You've got to not only be up to speed, but then you've got to walk on set and talk to actors who, who want you to know, the, the world of the show and want to know that you're there as somebody who is a, a, a fan and, and a, uh, a student of, of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I can, and then I can put my own personal stamp on it as a filmmaker, but I'm working within the world that's been created. So, I mean, also discussions with the showrunners, discussions with the, the writers, um, uh, you know, walking the, the, the sets, there's a lot of, you know, standing sets when they build sets and in, in, uh, you know, the sound stages and, and you get to sort of live in, in, in the room where, you know, you've seen it on film, but you get to be there and you have to, you know, you figure out how you're going to stage scenes, um, in your episode, you know, in, in the world and, and the sets that, that are, that are there. So it's, it's a very much, uh, you're a, you're a, guests to a party uh and you're late to the party usually mm. you know you're you're usually there to catch up a little bit so sure. so that's what i that's what i do is there a reason then i always wonder this too because if there's all that involved it takes all that prep work just to get involved for one episode why do they not hire a director to kind of take care of a season is it because you're finishing up while the next guy and there's there's like an overlap with the next director for the next episode and well, that's, that's the most, I think that is the, 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 the best question that, I mean, that, that is the, the question that everyone asks um, if they even think about it. Most people just, you know, let the shows wash over them and don't think, you know, from week to week why there's one director one week and one director another week. But if you ever stop and think about it, it it's, it's a really very, it's a very strange kind of um, system if, if you look at it from the outside. But mm -hmm. There's two answers to your question. One is that, yes, it's an assembly line. Yes, basically back to when they started figuring out how to make TV shows. Financially speaking, it's best to have a cast and a crew that are basically committed to a season of television. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and there's people that are going to work week to week to week to week. Um, that said, the directors are... There's basically four directors working... Uh, at the same exact time on a TV show because there's one director that's, that's prepping while another director is shooting. And while the director is shooting, another director is basically waiting for their editor to finish so they can go into the editing room and start their, their director's cut. And then there's another director who's basically embroiled in their director's cut and doing that job. So basically, even if you wanted to direct all episodes of a show, it would mean a total, um, you'd have to blow up the whole schedule and budget. Now they've done it a couple of times. They did that for the first season of true detective. Mm. Um, and they've done it for the second season. And now I think also the third season of Mr. Robot, where they basically are creating a schedule where they can have one director 
uh, in Mr. Robot's case, it's the showrunner and Carrie Fukunaga who did um, True Detective season one. They basically like the first season of True Detective cost uh, took I mean took a year to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know because you're basically shooting ten episodes and you're figuring out the best way to um, essentially block shoot all those episodes. Um, and uh, but other than those very very few examples, the idea is that you as a director are going in and week to week going into a situation and you're you're basically keeping the machine running. Um, now the the follow up question is why don't then they just hire say four directors for the whole series and just rotate them around, right? Sure. sure. And and the answer there um, per Hollywood is that um, they want each individual director to come into what is potentially going to be a show that could get routine and people could fall into habits and it could turn into theoretically a show that, that, you know, just kind of gets comfortable and they, they like the idea of somebody new coming in and putting their own stamp on it. Now I can't go in and reinvent the show. I can't go in and, and, you know, say, oh, okay, so you're shooting the show all handheld. I want to just do everything on a crane. You know, yeah. like you, you've got to work within what they call the style book of the show. You know, you've got to, you know, but, but beyond that, in terms of how you approach the storytelling, in terms of how you approach the performances and uh, the actors, the, 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 the shot design, the, the, the way you, you sort of do the calculus of, of getting an eight-page day shot in a very cinematic way. I mean, that is all very specific to the director and what, what a director does. And um, ideally, the idea is that each week you have somebody, you know, who is obviously, you know, apart from the assembly line answer, the other answer is you have the ability to make your episode of television of that show very much uh, as great as possible because you're not on staff, because you're not there all the time, because you're coming in as a fresh voice, as a fresh person who looks at it in in your own special way. Mm. Um, The downside to that argument though, of course, is that essentially what you're doing is you're, you're, you're throwing a stranger into a mix of a bunch of people that know each other and as, as a stranger, if it's the first time on a series, I mean, thankfully, after my fifth, I just finished my fifth uh, episode of The Magician. So by then, there's a familiarity mm-hmm. about, like, you know, the people I've worked with multiple times before. But, like, that first episode of a show that you're directing, you've basically got to get 75 people who don't know you within a week and a half of prepping um, before you step onto that set. You've got to... Um, make them like you. You've got to make them um, respect you. You've got to make them feel like you're coming in as someone who is going to be a supporter and is going to make everything great while employing the, the incredible talents of the people that are there. And, you know, there, there's got to be a respect uh, and, and a, uh, a confidence that you have on that first day of shooting where you're walking in and you're saying action and cut and you're, you're telling, you know, you're, you're telling people where you'd like them to stand and where you want them to walk. And, and from take to take, you're giving notes to actors on performance. And it's like, you've got, it's also a job where you could spectacularly fail if everybody turns against you because you are the the one temp in, in, in a world of say, you know, people who are on staff and I'm the temp and I'm going to be gone in two weeks. So if there's anything that goes wrong, 
you know, I'm the first person who could theoretically get blamed for anything, Mm -hmm. you know, thrown under the bus for something that, uh, you know, I may or may not have anything to do with. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that, 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 that are there, there that, you know, want to keep their jobs and want to not have to, you know, um, you know, it's like as a guest director, you're, you're, you're vulnerable to, to all of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's a complicated answer to your question. Um, but it is the system that, 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 is, that is, you know, <laughs> in place. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. Again, it's a system where I don't know. I don't know if that's going to end up changing or, or if that's going to stay the same. But um, for now, it's my life. <laughs> Do you still feel that kind of tension going on to a new set for a new show? Or is that? Yeah, Yeah, all the time, all the time. I I definitely think that um, uh, every job to me feels like an audition to work again on that show. You know, you walk into uh, a room and and ideally, you know, not only do you want to make a great show, but you also want the cast and crew after you leave to say, hey, we, 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 we like that director. We like because they have a voice and whether directors get asked back or not. So you really want to make it a good experience on set. And then also the show, the episode has to come out well, you yeah, know, so, yeah. so you're, it's all, so it, it's, it's a, a lot of stress, a lot of um, pressure to, to make a great show and to deal with the people politics and to, um, which, which, which is also something again in film school that they didn't, they, they, they didn't really cover, you know, like it, it's this whole idea that a director can, you know, it, there's, there's filmmakers that are given the right to be, you know, whatever personality they want to be, you know, um, you know, look at the James Cameron's of the world and the Michael Bay's of the world. It's like the people who've earned the studios millions of dollars, they can make movies any damn way they want to. Mm. Whereas for people who are walking into TV, TV series, you know, you gotta be, a, a very, you know, positive presence. You've got to be a, a, a leader that is also uh, a cheerleader, a supporter, a, 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 but somebody that, that does in fact um, dig in and, and, and make, makes that episode great and, and, and makes everything about that episode as, as great as you possibly can while still managing all these personalities and there's so many personalities on set. There's people that need you to be, um, you know, a therapist. There's people that need you to be uh, a cheerleader. There's people that need you to be a, 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 an ego booster. There's people that need you to be, you know, a, um, uh, you know, a, a strong, you know, kind of almost, you know, dictatorial presence. Like there, there's, there's so many, there's so many ways of managing it's like Matt and in any you know any leadership position you've mm-hmm. got to be aware of the people that you're working with and you've got to make sure that you that everybody feels like they're part of the process mm-hmm. and and I, and I think for me uh, it's so important also to to subvert my own ego and to say okay look wherever the idea comes from you got to give that person you know, the credit vocally, you can't take that credit. You know, like if, if a great idea comes from the cinematographer or the camera operator or the sound designer or the person at craft service, you know, their, their contribution is something that you need to recognize and tout. And that's what, you know, that's what the art of collaboration is all about. I think a lot of people 
don't re, you know miss miss out on learning that part of it you know mm. because there's again unless again you, you're that person that comes out of the gate who makes a brilliant independent film and you're instantly adopted by Hollywood uh, as as a as a brilliant auteur then all your bad behavior potentially could be fine you know but you know, I, I, I see very few people that get away with it. Usually the people that also thrive, I think, in, in feature situations, not only are good filmmakers, but also, you know, do well with the uh, with the people side of it. Mm. Um, uh, from from being a kid that loved uh, film and television, and all these things uh, over the years and throughout your entire life. Does it ever uh, being on the other side of the curtain now, does it ever take away from something you're watching kind of like you're peeking behind the magician's curtain and you, you clearly watch things with a different eye than most people do because you see things that we don't. You can imagine what it's like on set. Are you able to kind of shut that off and just enjoy something or is that a constant presence in anything you watch? Yeah, it's it's basically ruined uh, a lot of, yeah. of, of of film. Uh, well, of, of viewing, like for example, TV uh, is difficult for me to watch mm. um, because I do feel like I'm at work because I watch TV for a living. You know, uh, essentially, I'm you know I make TV for a living, but also you know I'm watching dozens of episodes of of, of that particular TV show and immersing myself in the world of that show. Um, but I'm also yes, I'm also watching then TV and going, Oh, I see where they cut corners there. Oh, wow. They must've run out of light there. Oh, oh <laughs> wow. Oh, they could, wow. That's interesting. They consolidated those three sets and they, you know, there's, there's this running commentary in my brain um, when I'm watching TV because it's, that is what I, you know, I I'm doing right now. Whereas um, feature films are easier for me because um, I can, I can still lose myself in a feature unless it's bad, mm. in which case it's very difficult. I used to never walk out of movies, but these days I am because like, I feel like life is too short. I yeah. mean, and, and if I see something that's just bad and it starts triggering all those things where I'm like, uh, and I start to become a critic, it's just not, it's just not fun for me. But um, the good news is that a great feature film, you know, there've been a few of them this year that have just blown, blown me away, you know, like movies like the shape of water and call me by your name and the post um, like those, those the, in those types of films where I'm in the hands of, of a master filmmaker, I am completely immersed. And, 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 and that thank God for that because otherwise, you know, I, it, it would be just like this, you know, it would be like this, this self-destructive uh, choice of profession where I, I get to do it, but I, I can't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah but it's got to be rewarding enough to where that like does it stops mattering. Like, Oh, I can't watch TV anymore. Well, I'm making TV. So that, that always, right, exactly. Then it, yeah, it's true. It's true. But, but no, it's, there's just still a thrill about watching, uh, you know, a show that I, I directed, um, when I turn it in after my director's cut and then I see it on air. I mean, there's a good feeling about having, having been there, done that. So, um, thankfully I still, I still have that. Um, but it, you know, it does affect whether I go home at night and, and binge watch, uh, you know, the latest, uh, the latest series as as so many people get pleasure out of doing. I wish I had the ability to, to do that and not feel like I was doing homework. Yeah. 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 Are there other things outside of, uh, film or TV that you would say you geek out about that you just like want to consume all the knowledge? Music. Yeah. yeah. Music. I'm a music junkie. I, oh, yeah, um, and you've directed music videos too. I have. Yes. And, um, and also, 
what's interesting is that a lot of the artists I've worked with um, directing their music videos, they're people I met because I used one of their songs in an episode of television that I directed. And, you know, the music industry, that's a whole other, you know, we could do a whole other show on that. But the idea of, of this being the post record label universe in the world in which, you know, a lot of singers and songwriters, you know, got signed by a major label, had an entire corporation working on their behalf to sort of promote them into stardom. They had their own A&R department. They had their own marketing, you know, people who were, you know, working on their uh, their website and getting them booked, you know, their tours booked. Um, and then all of a sudden they lose their deal or, or, you know, record labels decided they didn't want to, you know, release rock music anymore. So you have a lot of great rock musicians, singers, songwriter types, uh, you know, people who made a uh, straight ahead melodic pop that are now like in a, in a universe where they don't have the record deal anymore. And then all of a sudden they have to do all of that stuff themselves. They have to be their own A&R department. They have to design their own website. They have to go book their own uh, shows. They have to be their own tour managers. They have to go out there and, 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 you know, make their own music videos and, and really self promote and try to get their work, you know, using the internet directly to their fans. And so, um, so I, I know several people who are in that situation and, and it's just like, there's so much great music out there that, that you really have to go hunting for now. So, so like when I geek out about music, it's like, I, I geek out about the, my, my friends who are musicians, people I met who, who, who are amazing artists who just aren't, you know, into the, the, don't make the, the, the type of music with the hooks and the beats and the drops and the freestyles and the, and the auto tune and the, you know, the, the stuff that's just, you know, populating the, the, the streaming charts right now. It's just like, it's like, there's so much stuff that's, I mean, there's, there's a few, you know, uh, great exceptions of, of people that are still writing melodies and writing songs, but a lot of times it's really just about this, this particular type of sound that is, it's just, you know, it's just not what, what so many great musicians are doing. So, um, I, I just, I try, you know, I will, I will go down the rabbit hole on the internet and I will, I will start it with Spotify and I'll end up on music blogs. I will try to find, you know, those great musicians that, that are out there that are making great music that, that, that they're just not being heard. Mm. And then, you know, I feel like at least for me, um, there have been a few examples where I feel like because I did those intensive searches, because I went down those rabbit holes, I discovered artists that then I was able to uh, take that song and use it in a way and put it in a show that I directed. And then that artist actually, you know, got a new fan base and a new following. They went from, from, you know, obscurity to like stardom. Like there've been some episodes of the vampire diaries that I directed where I featured a song at the end of it. Um, you know, built a whole sequence around a particular song. And then the next morning, that song, which was never a single, which was never promoted by a record company, is suddenly top 10 on That's iTunes. amazing. So, That's awesome. You know, it, and it's great. It's a great feeling. And it also, again, the music geek in me is so happy that, that I'm able to at least have in my small way the ability to help, you know, it's also like not only a post-record label universe, it's also a post-traditional radio universe. It's like that's traditional radio is kind of dead. So it's like people are, you know, listening to their algorithm uh, fueled uh, playlists mm -hmm. now. So it's like they're not, 
being introduced to music uh, in the way they used to be. So, um, so a really good placement in a film or a TV show often launches careers or, or resurrects careers of a lot of uh, artists that oh, had yeah. been you know, um, relying on radio or, or relying on, um, on uh, you know, that, that, that record label to, to really put them out there. Absolutely. Um, we've yeah. done well over an hour at this point, which is crazy. Oh, wow, it's gone wow, by wow. so sure, fast. Yeah. How long is your show usually? Are we, are we, are we going over? Okay. Well, I mean, there's no, there's no necessary limit. It's more about just letting you live your life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start winding down with a few things. Um, okay, if great. there, if there's a thing that you've made, I don't want to say favorite because that's, that's kind of a weird term to use, but is there a thing that you've made, whether it be an episode of a TV show, a music video, a film, something that you want? people to see that you wish there were more eyes on what would you point people towards um i would love people to google um the music video that i directed um the song is called baby you're like a drug um and it's by a canadian band called menu spelled m-e-n-e-w um that music video i made it stars um Menu, the, the, there's th- there's three brothers in the band, and they're one of their BFFs is uh, Joshua Jackson, who oh okay yeah is in, uh, Dawson's Creek and yep. in, uh, currently in the Affair on Showtime. Um, great guy, uh, he agreed to be the star of our music video, and uh, it's it's uh, one of the most um, I think it's it's something that one I'm most proud of as as a, as a director, and and it's just something that the song itself again it was this exactly as I described, this is an independent band making great rock music and they, they're not signed by a label. Mm. Um, so we made this music video and we put it out there and, uh, we got, you know, half a million views on, on, on Vivo, but, but still it's like, um, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough world for, for, for people who make rock music right now. So I, I think that's one thing I would point them to. And, um, I also did a short for uh, Showtime called House Not Home, okay. which, uh, which uh, is um, available, I think, on, on Showtime On Demand. And it, it's, uh, it's thankfully it's shown dozens of times on Showtime. It's a, a short that I made that I'm very proud of. Um, and um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I would point people towards, um, you know, uh, TV shows that, that are worth revisiting that have been long canceled. Like, uh, like my, again, I think if I had to pick one episode of television, that's my favorite. It was in a show called reckless, which was on CBS. Um, they did 13 episodes of it. And my episode, which is episode seven of 13, um, shows available for people to binge. Although a lot of people don't want to binge shows where they know there's only 13 episodes Mm -hmm. and and the story will leave them hanging and there's just no resolution to any of their (laughs) characters and the, um, uh, another show like that I loved was NBC show called state of affairs with oh, um, sure. Catherine Heigl and yeah. Alfred Woodard and that show again, it only lasted 13 episodes, but my episode uh, was a piece an hour of television that I'm probably, you know, a top five most proud of in terms of things I've directed in my life. So, you know, so those are, those are certain things that, that I point towards. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I and then I, I encourage everybody right now to binge watch The Magicians. The first two seasons are I on Netflix. I encourage that too. I yeah, love I know. that show so and, much. And, 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 as, and I'm a, I love that you're a fan, but um, I meet a lot of people who don't even know about the show um, yet. So hopefully, you know, uh, we can spread the word that uh, The Magicians is worth worth uh, binging. And uh, currently, 
it's uh, they just uh, aired the fourth episode of season three mm-hmm. um, last night. And um, my episode, uh, the first episode I directed the season will be on in three weeks. So there's that. Um, so time to catch up. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I have another episode and then coming up a few weeks after that. And then Shadowhunters is coming back in. So, you know, if you, you know, which is a, you know, for, for, a for a young adult television series, it is, it is uh, as good as it gets um, at this point, um, seasons two and uh, now season, season three, they're both really, really, really uh, just very well done and, you know, great cast, great crew. So I, you know, so if you're interested in young adult, you know, material, if that's something that excites you, then, then that's a show that I would point you towards as well. So. Awesome. And uh, lastly, anything else that we can plug for you? Social media, uh, any upcoming projects aside from the ones that you mentioned? Um, yeah, well, I'm on social media at the Joshua Butler um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I don't understand Snapchat, so I'm not there. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but uh, other than that one, uh, and I'm not on Twitch, which is, which is apparently is my loss because obviously you're <laughs> doing really well on twitch and my another good friend of mine jesse cowell just uh just got on twitch oh sure uh, he, yeah he knows he goes by jess kid you remember yeah, you know yeah you i know jesse yeah 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 from my tv fest you Absolutely. know where, where you um yeah so you yeah, know he's you know so it's like there's there's a lot of people embracing the twitch of it all so i uh I, i've got to figure that one out but uh in the meantime the old school facebook instagram and twitter uh worked for me the joshua butler and um yeah, I just I'm just finishing up a script for for a feature um, oh, this nice. week. That I'm very uh, excited about. So I'm trying to get that off the ground this year. Hopefully, we'll uh, so far so good. So got some some people interested already. So it's uh, so that's that's the goal. Get 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 some features made and a couple more music videos on the way. And um, yeah, but again, I'll you know if you just uh, stay with me on social media, <laughs> I'll usually promote what I'm doing. Yeah, fantastic. But, living yeah <laughs> well thanks again uh for joining me for this episode right. this was Pleasure, Rob. this yeah. was so much fun uh, i i i remember when i was watching magicians last season we had talked about doing this when we met at itv fest yes. and yes. then i was watching during the second season and i saw your name come up and i was like oh my god i know him. <laughs> it was it it like blew me away yeah. it was yeah, no, so thanks cool. for thanks for reaching out. So, yeah, I love I love your show. I love uh, you know, this is this is so much fun to be on the show. So thank you. Um for everything else we do, head on over to thegeekgeneration.com. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can watch our live podcasts, cooking, gaming, and more at twitch.tv slash the geek generation. Send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can be found on our site. We'll be back real soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we will see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Make it so.